Welcome to Combustible, the Massey podcast. Uh, this is a little bit of a departure from our normal podcast in that we're going to, instead of having a, a guest in uh, that we talk to, we're really just, we've convened a, the panel of our regular uh, usual suspects. Uh, we've got, uh, I'm Bill Voorhees, we've got Mike Hatcher. Want to say anything about yourself? No? No. Just generally awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Outstanding leadership. There's, there you go. There you go. Uh, we've got Pavel Troche. I am here, present. Pardon, in the presence of outstanding leadership. Okay. <laughs> and Shane Dobson. I'm here. And uh, this this particular podcast, just to give you a, kind of a, an idea of where we're coming from, uh, the idea for this podcast actually started with uh, looking at the Fulton Cotton Mill fire. Uh, which was back in 1999, all over the news. Uh, if you're listening to us from somewhere other than Atlanta, it was a huge uh, five-story, five-story cotton mill, something like that, that uh, was being converted into lofts at the time, was built in the 1800s and uh, caught on fire during that work and quickly became a conflagration in the area and uh, trapped a crane operator over 200 feet uh, above the fire on his crane and there was a big televised uh, helicopter rescue of the crane operator. And we, we wanted to look at that incident. We were actually going to talk to the captain who was in charge of the TRT team that made the rescue uh, and talk to him about the decision-making process uh, on scene, uh, you know, that compressed time and, and things like that. And we thought we had it lined up, but uh, life intervenes and he wasn't able to be with us. But we still thought it was a good topic, so we're going to talk about that. But first, we want to start out with, uh, we've actually got some listener email. Uh, we, we've got a question, and we wanted to uh, answer the question, and then we'll, uh, we'll get into the topic. What was the question? Okay, uh, the, basically the question from the, the listener is, how do we select the topics or the guests that we have on the uh, combustible webs- or, uh, podcast? Anybody want to field that one? Shane? <laughs> well, I... Please tell us what you said earlier. I feel like, unfortunately, that I kind of bully you guys into it, and I just pick the topics. I don't think it <laughs> completely goes down like that, but I, you know, we, we sit you around. Why is it that you feel that way? We sit around and we talk about so many different things all the time. And I'm like, I can't tell you how many conversations we've all had now. We're like, oh man, that'd be a great podcast if we talked about that. And we really need to make a point to write some of that stuff down because, just like today, we forgot what we were. What would have been a great podcast that we talked about yesterday. So, um, but I think really, um, all of us are pretty plugged into the fire service. So you're kind of hearing what's going on, you know, like to see what, you know, the the heartbeat of what's going on. So a lot of that, at least from my, my opinion, uh, what I want to talk about or what I suggest is just what I think is going on in the fire service right now. You know, what's fun, um, this firehouse table talk kind of stuff, you know, every morning that's or afternoon or during the day or whenever it is, a great conversations come out of that. And that's kind of what right. we spun this off of anyway. Well, and I think the the some of the listeners are actually suggesting those topics without really realizing right. that they're suggesting it because people are coming up to us, uh, you know, talking about, hey, we listen to the podcast, uh, we listen to this one, we were thinking this, and, you know, those conversations spur those ideas that, end up being, hey, let's talk about that, or, you know, uh, maybe we can have so-and-so in and, and talk to them. 
So, uh, but we do appreciate suggestions, you know, flat, just, hey, why don't you do a podcast about this or uh, talk to a certain individual? Right. And we also, we, in the beginning here, we've really tried to keep it focused uh, a lot on the instructors or past instructors as well that have taught at Massey uh, so that you guys get a little bit more background. You know, if you were kind of curious about that class or that, what that guy was teaching, if you heard something about him or listened to them speak in the, during the podcast, maybe that piqued your interest even more. So we kind of use that as well. But if anybody has any suggestions on topics or guests, you know, please email us. Yeah, just come, a question? Oh, yeah, exactly. just a question. Uh, the email address is combustible, the podcast dot or at gmail.com. I knew I was going to screw that up. And say it one more time. Combustible, the podcast at gmail.com. That's on really? the website on org as well. Uh, when you go to the podcast page, uh, you should be able to find the link to uh, send us an email. Or you can send it to Bill Voorhees at I love customer service.com. <laughs> By all means, you should be following feel, him feel on free Facebook. To, yeah, feel free to follow me on Facebook. If you're yeah, looking for some uh, entertainment. You that's are. where you're going to be entertaining. That or Shane's wife. I have, another, <laughs> I have another podcast on customer service. So um, you probably <laughs> That's actually not a bad idea. <laughs> no, that, that would be an great. interesting conversation. <laughs> okay, so uh, on to our topic. Um, the example that I was using when we were talking about this and whether or not we wanted to do this topic was, uh, like we said, the Fulton Cotton Mill fire. There's an excellent article that was written by David Rhodes and Matt Mosley uh, years ago when the, when the incident actually happened that gives a lot of the details of the actual incident. But uh, looking back at my career and talking to these other guys, uh, started talking about Incidents where something was or something had to be done that was outside the realm of normal strategy and tactics that might have even broken rules or broken established safety procedures uh, because of what you'd call exigent circumstances or something that changed why we don't do that and made you do something like that. And uh, we figured we'd kind of get into that and talk about that, deal with the the idea that we have of processing information on scene, uh, and it's always in, you know it's always partial information, it's always information that's not necessarily reliable, and taking that information in a very compressed amount of time, make coming up with an action plan. Here's what we're going to do, and then implementing it. And I think there are a lot of people, especially young firefighters, but there are a lot of people outside of the fire service that aren't able to deal with that level of decision-making process. And the the example that I was using was a friend of mine named uh, Beth. And if you go out to dinner with Beth, Beth is going to read the menu for 24, 25 minutes before she's comfortable with what's on the menu. And then she's going to ask the waiter for another 10 minutes questions. And that's just to order dinner. We are pulling up on scene, presented with what we can see and with whatever, whoever's standing in the front yard is telling us, and within 30 seconds deciding a course of action that could result in serious injury or potentially, you know, uh, death of a firefighter or, or the, a failed rescue attempt on a, on a civilian possibly. And we're making those decisions in, in 30 seconds. And I really want to explore that that decision-making process, because I think 
like I said, I think people outside of the fire service don't understand that that decision making. But even younger firefighters look at their officers on their trucks or the battalion chief or whoever on scene, and they don't understand why some of those things are being decided the way they are. Anybody want to? Is there a question in that prologue? It's not really a question. That was a long. First of all, is Beth going to be okay that you used her name? Really? I, I really don't think is Beth listens to this. Sorry, Beth. Sorry, Just Beth. in case you do. You keep I reading like that memo, Beth. honey. There's nothing wrong with Beth. <laughs> Sorry, menu, not memo. <laughs> Can't get admin out of my head right now. That, that was a long... It was not a question Short, there. It was more of like just kind of an opening a statement. Lead in. <clears throat> Dead air. Okay, nice. All right. So <laughs> here's the situation. Okay. Um, this is years ago. I was on... We'll just go right into a war story. Uh, I was on uh, our battalion car, a captain acting as a battalion chief, uh, pull up on what was dispatched as a person down and uh, get there and there's two guys, two workers looking down at a manhole. And this particular manhole was about 25 feet deep. It was a utility manhole. It had two levels of walkway scaffolding within the manhole. And this guy was on the bottom uh, level of scaffolding, laying down, looked to be about 300 pounds. He had another worker down with him on the scaffolding. And the report was that uh, he was a previous cardiac patient who was experiencing chest pain. And uh, that's what we had. Now, the utility that was in the hole uh, was pumping fresh air through their duct system, whatever, but their meters for reading the air in the hole were completely not working. And I had to come up with a decision on what to do right then. Now, we had very specific rules on confined space, and our rules said only TRT goes into confined space. And we're presented with a confined space, a victim in the hole, and the decision of what to do. And at that time, I told the firefighters that pulled up on the first unit what I thought was going on, which was a medical emergency, that it wasn't the air that was bad, but that it was a confined space, and that by all of our safety rules and, and everything else, we weren't supposed to be in that hole. Heavy rescue's on the way, but they're 45 minutes out. And basically looked at those firefighters and said, are you willing to go down in that hole with SCBA on full turnout gear and see if we can hook this guy up to a monitor and potentially give him drugs? So we we, we ended up putting two guys in the hole. Non-paramedics pushed drugs because the, the, the uh, paramedic that showed up was up top of the manhole and was not trained in fire at all and was reading the EKG and passing medication down. So we broke a bunch of rules, but it's my contention to this day that this guy is alive because those guys were willing to go down in the hole and render aid because it was a medical emergency. There wasn't anything wrong with the air in the hole. All of that decision-making process happened in about 30 seconds. But you didn't know there wasn't anything wrong with the air in the hole? No, didn't know. You had no way to find out? No, other than the canary that was in the hole with him. 
Exactly. Now, there's, there's a guy down there breathing right. the air. <clears throat> he seems to be fine. Um, when, that doesn't mean it could be fine always. Sure. But. So when the, when the real battalion chief showed up that was over heavy rescue, who's responding because of the heavy rescue response, an actual chief, not a captain acting, uh, he's yelling at me through the windshield before the car ever stops. And then when the door opens, he's given me everything as he walks over to the hole and relieves me of command and, you know, yelling at me about all the rules that I'm breaking. And I freely admit I broke every one of them. You know, that's not a... So, what are y'all's thoughts? That's tough. I know that as far as the decision-making process part of it. I'll use something that I stole. I wrote it down to make sure I didn't forget it. Solely the guy that landed the plane on the Hudson. Mm-hmm. I was listening to one of his things where he said the co-pilot that was assisting him was actually piloting that plane till it hit the birds and then he took over. Anyhow, he said what they base a lot of decision on is time and type. How much time have you had and have you been on that type of plane? Right, So for us, that would say, well, how much experience do you have? And it's specifically TRT experience, let's mm-hmm. say, right? But we don't always have all the experiences, and we're going to encounter something that we're not ready for in our decision-making <clears throat> process. It took this gentleman, Sully, and he's kind of you know blown up ever since that happened. I use him as an example because everybody can recognize him. He said it took him 10 minutes to explain three seconds worth of decisions. So we're kind of on that same boat, except we're doing it very frequent. And we're not only doing it frequently, you're having to make a decision where somebody's life is in your hand. And it almost seems like, and we discussed before, what the outcome sometimes may determine Absolutely. whether it was whether it was justifiable or not. Right. Was it a good idea to do this? Yeah, right. which makes it unfair because it's not like we go in there with all the, the cards visible. You get handed this stuff, so if you would have st- stepped back and followed all the rules, I like that there's a great probability that somebody would have died. Is that acceptable? Is that decision-making process that's saying, based on a bunch of rules, I'm going to neglect somebody's life? And, you know, so there's so many ramifications to our decision-making that I think even, like you were saying with the firefighters, when you start going down and me gaining experience and being around you guys and everything else is some of these decisions are not as simple as a tactical decision. It could be a career decision. It could be, uh, it could be jail time. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people within the training realm are paying consequences right now, legal consequences because of a decision that the outcome went the other way. Correct. The outcome went the other way. And after the investigation, it showed we're going to hold you liable because this isn't normal. So I think the decision-making process, if we were to sit down and really dig into it the way some of these other professions have, you would find that we have some of the toughest decisions to make within the smallest amount of times. And our ramifications are huge. Not only human life, which is the biggest thing, human life, human possessions, mm-hmm. all the things that we value, our own uh, integrity and our careers. So there's so many ramifications behind the decision that it's, to me, it's just not that tactical decision you make. Mm-hmm. To me, that tells me about your integrity. It tells me about your commitment. It tells me about much more than saying, I'm committed people to break all these rules. Right. So, well, one of the things that, you know, 
happened there was I told the two firefighters that pulled out, it was a seat man and his tailboard, and I said, this is what I think's going on. And looking back on it after the call, if they had said, I don't feel comfortable getting down in that hole, Cap, I'd have said, okay, we're not getting down right. in the hole. Um, it wouldn't have. Le- it doesn't lessen what I think is my responsibility for making the decision, but I wasn't going to force anybody to get down in there based upon what I thought was going on. You know, what were you going to say, Hatch? Well, it's just like we were talking during dinner, and I said, you know, we've used this comment before. There's a very thin line between a medal of valor and a complaint package, and it's based off of, on the outcome. Right. You know, it's not based on all the decision-making that you went through when you were doing it. You're very, like you said, you're very compressed. And typically we have a game plan in our head before the wheels in the truck stop moving. And we just adjust it right. as we go. Right. You know, but even still, you know, you're applying several years of experience to make that call. And I think <clears throat> it comes down to what can you live with? Right. You know, because we, got, we discussed also the Worcester fire and what the deputy chief did there. You know, was that the right call? That is what he has to live with every day. Did he do the right thing? Could that one more guy have saved one guy? Right. You're not always going to know. But what what can you live with? Have you applied your professionalism, your training, or have you just been sitting in the station, you know, uh, playing Xbox, not mastering your craft, and now you're thrown into this unbelievably difficult decision? Right. Working to master your craft will help you make these decisions or at least help you live with what the consequences of it, in my opinion. Well, and I, you know, when I was relieved of command, um, and, you know, you got to understand there were helicopters flying overhead. This turned into a huge call. TRT showed up after a long response and took, I don't remember how long to get him out there, but it was setting the tripod up and the whole deal. It took a while. Um, But as soon as I was relieved... uh, our chief of operations, excuse me, our uh, division chief or whatever you want to call it, who was in charge of the shift, had just showed up and taken over all command. And I reported to him and I said, Chief, here's what we had when we pulled up. Here's what I was thinking. Here are the actions that I took. And I'm, I said, I, Chief so-and-so over there is pretty angry with me. And if he wants to pursue corrective action against me in any way, I'm okay with it. I'll take whatever he wants to do because I was that confident in the decision. But the guy could have died. Our two firefighters could have died. You know, I mean... So does that make the decision wrong? Is the decision based on the outcome? It goes back kind of some of the discussion we're having where if you have a positive outcome, it makes it a good decision. Right. If, if the ba- bad if it's a, actions with yeah. a positive outcome. But now, <laughs> if I go and I and I split the country <laughs> in the middle and somebody does my exact actions that I took here, <clears> my exact decision-making process, they may end up with that Medal of Valor, like you're saying, somewhere else. Right. There's a multitude of complexities that can add to the failure at that moment that you can't anticipate. Well, just like the Mosley thing, I mean, the, all kind of things could happen. The rope could have burned through, the, the crane could have fell before they got there. Yeah. I mean, there's a whole lot of things that could have gone wrong. It all went right, great, and it was, you know, an awesome rescue. But you're on, that's the whole thing. You're on that teetering edge of what's right and what's wrong. And it's something they've never planned for. They've never tried it before. Right. I mean, to the point of the original plan was to seatbelt one guy inside the helicopter and had a harness, and he was going to hold the two of them. And he's about the size of the yeah. you know the leg on a chair. I mean, he's going to rip him in half to do that. For anybody that's not familiar with that 
that helicopter rescue, um, they ended up using the DNR helicopter mm -hmm. because all of the other helicopters on scene were either media helicopters or something else that they were basically too heavy. They weren't going to be able to create the lift that they needed in the hot air coming off of the fire that was completely surrounding the crane. Uh, this was a situation where the crane operator was so hot 200 feet above the fire that his shoes were melting um, to the crane uh, that he was you know, standing on the uh, The crane the cab weights. caught on fire, yeah, too. The crane cab was on fire. He retreated on top of the, the weights on yeah. the end of the boom. But um, the you know when the decision was made to go ahead and do this, and I'm totally going off of what we've read, but when the decision was made to do this, the rescue rope for the helicopter was not long enough. It couldn't put the firefighter far enough below the helicopter for the helicopter to be out of danger from the, the heat. So they joined two of those ropes together, which is just another one of those, there's another way that this is going to go wrong. You know, and it just, the, the more you read that article, the more you just kind of, you, you keep seeing all these places where it could have gone wrong. Or, you know, Hatch, you brought up Worcester. You know, that if, if nobody's read it, read the Esquire article. You can read the book. There's a book, 3,000 Degrees, by the same author. Um, I prefer the, the article in Esquire. Uh, it's a little more compact, and I think it, it has a little more bang. But uh, one of the chiefs on scene, you know, you've got two firefighters in the cold storage warehouse in Worcester that were trapped. They sent in writ teams. One of the writ teams gets trapped. Another RIT team gets trapped. You've got six firefighters trapped in this building that's a an old cold storage. So it's cork, uh, all kinds of, you know, six-inch thick cork in rooms. It's a maze, no windows. And um, that chief made the decision not to send anybody else into the building to try and rescue the six trapped firefighters. And these are firefighters that are still on the radio talking. And, and he did it by blocking the door with his own he body. He physically blocked the door and fought other firefighters. And uh, definitely read that article if you haven't read it. But think about that, that decision. And I personally think he saved other firefighters' lives that night. But the, the decision to write off those six firefighters in the hopes that other firefighters aren't going to die... And what a huge burden that is. And I think he, I mean, you know, just going off of what I've read, I think he I think he saved firefighters' lives that night. But you talk about are you ready for yeah, are you ready for that responsibility? I mean, you're gonna live with it. Department you know, decide besides whatever the department decides to do, whatever whatever happens, you have to live with that decision. You personally. That's the that's the moral there's the legal ramification of, of the rules and all that other stuff. And are you willing to stand on the mat for that? But then there's the moral obligation that I don't think we talk about a lot. And that's what I actually try to bring it up in our acting OIC classes about that. You know, I'm, I, I try to make that impact to them of how big a deal it is that you are on the seat, that you're making that call. You're, you're putting people in harm's way before the chief or anybody else gets there. Right. And are you ready to make that call? Have you applied yourself to be able to make that call? So with... With that, we had a conversation here recently. That I think was pretty good. It's a, this guy is a very well experienced, I would say, six year firefighter. He's riding backwards, but he has plenty of fires under his belt. He's a very busy department, and he will question an officer's decision 
which we've all been in this place where he'll question your aggressiveness, let's say. And in our discussion, what I'm telling him is the way I viewed things in the back seat versus being responsible for other people are completely different. My decision-making process changed. When I'm in the back seat, I'm willing to go the full length. I'll mm-hmm. go as far because I'm only responsible for me. Right. But then when I move to that front seat, now I'm responsible. I'm not going to take risks for you as I would for myself. I suffer the consequences of my risk when I move to the fr- front seat. Now I suffer the consequences for this whole place. I'm not going to do that to you. I'm not going to put you in that much risk. With that being said, I would ask the question to, to us. I'm, I'm curious what you, your response is. Would we agree, disagree, or is it too vague to say indecisiveness is going to be a lot more harmful than decisiveness? So for the war, uh, any of the incidents that we talk about, me taking five minutes to make that decision because I am indecisive. I am not being decisive, holding back that interior uh, primary or, or saying, you know, VES this room or let's go ahead and set up a short haul system and pick them off. The indecisiveness is extremely dangerous from what I've read, from our experience, from my personal opinion is that indecisiveness can be catastrophic versus what we are forced to do, which is be decisive. Why is everybody looking at me? <laughs> I, well, I actually, I, I know, I know one thing. <clears throat> if if you don't make some decisions on the fire ground, there'll be some firefighters that make it for you, and they may or may not work out okay. I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but if you don't start being making some decisions, it's a good possibility that thing could go in a lot of different directions that you weren't mm-hmm. even ready for it to go in. And now you're being forced to make further decisions that compound it. So would that be all included? Would that be cumulative? In other words, as a first arriving unit being indecisive, as a battalion chief being indecisive, as a, even at, an, at an, almost any level to say what the core of our job and our profession is, we're decision makers. We make very difficult decisions very quickly, and we do have to live with those consequences, but we're decision makers. We're supposed to have the answers for everything, from a broken sprinkler to somebody sitting 200 feet off of the ground on a burning tower to do I write this person up or not. So we, in the core of what we do, we're decision makers. So to me, the indecisiveness is almost like we don't, have the ability to be undecisive that's what we do is we're supposed to be decisive and also going back to what you said hatch you know if you go to your mainstream america and your regular jobs they're going to say and actually just in the world they say we don't want to put too many stressors on you this is what the stressors do to your body you can't make good decisions while you're under stress well we actually Teach the opposing, which would be you constantly put them under the stress so they know how to make the decision under stress. And it's they're not so stressed out when they make it because we're, we're training. We're trying to learn. So the indecisiveness thing to me is a huge ticket in this going, we have to make a decision. That's where we're at every level. As a firefighter to follow instructions, as a company officer to give instructions, as a battalion chief to make sure that you're giving instructions and people are following. So to me, indecisiveness is something that... 
the only thing I'd say that I kind of oppose that a little bit, we've talked about it before, where we get confidence, and it's false confidence, because we tried something and it worked, but it just worked out of dumb luck. Mm-hmm. And we didn't come back and do something to figure out why did that work out. Well, that can build up some false confidence, and now you're going to have this guy making a decision based off of something he did before, but he was lucky to survive it the first time. Right. So I would not say every time, you know, decision decisiveness is great, because it has to be backed up with that you're using some kind of decision-making process that you're going through your experience, a couple of other things to put it in there. If you just did it, you know, it, I always because say... Because you did it last time. Right. It works right up until the time it doesn't. Right. If you're not thinking about how to go. I do say you're right. Indecisiveness is a killer and it, it'd be a problem because if they don't have an idea of what they're doing and they can't make a decision, just like Shane said, there are people who are going to make decisions. And the thing's constantly evolving and changing while you're trying to make that decision. Right. That's why I talk about, you know, we're just looking at the front window and we come up with a game plan like that. We've never seen it before. Uh, we're going to kind of here. We had a class. We're going to have a couple other things. We're going to have a, you know, we're going to put a basic little outline on here. Here, guys, why don't you pull this off, blah, blah, blah. And then as you get there and do your 360, you may adjust that a little bit. And then as the guys give you reports, you can adjust it a little bit more. So it's constantly evolving, constantly changing as the incident. Right? Yeah. And I absolutely don't disagree with that. I forget who it was that said it. I don't disagree with that at all. Many, many people trained for many, many months and made a plan to fight Mike Tyson. Then they got in the ring, got punched in the face, and that plan went right down the drain. Yeah. All right, you know? now I want you to say it again, but say it like Mike Tyson. Everybody got a pan, he get punched in the mouth. <laughs> so I totally agree. I'm trying right. to sit here and think of a time when indecision was the right thing. Correct. And that's what I'm and getting at. I'm not. It's going to be marginal. I'm just kidding. Oh God! Hey, don't even. That's a bad word. Don't, don't say that there. word. Yeah, and um, and that's where I'm getting at is saying when do you? And and I understand I can make a wrong decision. Uh, off the cuff, we can't. The the what you use, Bill, for your AOIC class where you're talking about, or your OIC class where you're talking about the the New York incident. Mm-hmm. A decision was made. What would have happened? If they would have sat up there debating and a decision would have been made. So I'm going down what you're saying yeah. and I don't disagree with you, Hatch, at all. It's just a decision is almost always made. No, no, the decision to not go in the hole is, is going to have. Decision. Correct. That's a decision. Right. Uh, the, what you talk about in, in your uh, class with the New York incident, I think is very applicable also if you want to. Well, the, the New York thing that we're talking about, there's a video online um, of, uh, and I think if, if you look up FDNY Times Square rope or something like that, it comes right up. And it's early 90s, and it was a, I think it's one of those triangular buildings, but it's a fire on the 14th floor, top floor. Uh, it was a recording studio, putting out this really thick, nasty black smoke, no doubt from all the soundproofing and all that stuff. But there are two individuals hanging from windows on uh, two sides of the building. And you can see, all of it's on videotape, you can see the FDNY guys go up to the roof. And this particular roof had a parapet wall, but it's also got what looks like a very large structure to house elevator uh, motors and stuff like that. Anyway, there is nowhere, there's no anchors. And the FDNY guys use one firefighter as an anchor... Uh, he wraps the, the end of the rope around his uh, pompier hook, around his, his belt, 
and uh, two guys lay down on top of him, and the fourth firefighter goes over the ledge down the rope to grab the guy off the ledge. And that, it's another one of those where as you're listening to it, there's all these things that are against them. It's definitely one of those where it's, it's a great thing because it actually worked out and they got the two people off. But if they'd sent the firefighter over the rope and the rope snapped and the firefighter plummeted to his death, you know, we'd be talking about it in a different light probably. We'd be sitting here thinking, why would they have done that? They had all these things telling them not to do this. The rope was an old rope, you know. Uh, They didn't have an anchor point, you know. They couldn't lower him to the ground. I mean, there were all these things that were wrong saying, don't do this. And it all went back to the outcome. Right. Right. You know. But there was the decision to do it. And then once they get the first guy off, they do it again. And, it, you know, the, the first guy, when, when the firefighter was lowered down to the level of the first victim, that victim lunged and jumped onto the rope and almost pulled the three-firefighter anchor off the top of the building. It was another firefighter just happened to have gotten up there right when they started to get pulled off the, the roof, and he laid down on them and pulled them back to the ground. So... Um, there's just, there's so, you know, it's no doubt the ballsiest thing I've, I've seen. Uh, at the time, wasn't it a one use only and someone had just died oh, yeah. doing it just previous to Well, the, the lieutenant in charge of the whole thing on the roof, uh, his buddy had died previously doing the exact same thing, mm-hmm. uh, where the rope broke and he, he fell to his death. So how do you, you know, <laughs> I mean, I don't under, you know, I don't know. And we presented in that class. You know, I intentionally presented in that class uh, after talking, and we kind of lead the class down a damn safety, let's be ballsy firefighters, uh, and then follow it up with that video, and everybody's all about going over the lid. You know, we've got to save people. We swore an oath, and blah, blah, blah. And it's all good. But the, the, the point, one of the points of that class is that, hold on a second, buddy, you're not going over the ledge. You're making somebody else go. You're you're making somebody else go. You're the officer now, right. and that's a huge. That's night and day. Yeah, I've been there for that one. Yeah, um, so that's one aspect of it that really kind of puts the the brakes on the the decision to go over that ledge, or the decision to go down on the manhole, or you know, the decision just to make entry on the house and go through the front door because we think we can get somebody real quick. But um, I don't know. I mean. And it, it, you're right, it's totally dependent on outcome, and not making a decision is a decision in itself, you know? But I can't think of a single call where somebody standing in the front yard, not talking into the microphone and giving direction was the right thing to do. Turned out to be good. Right. <laughs> I just can't think of one. Um, you know, we we could talk uh, Sofa Superstore, you know, the, the, the fire in Charleston um, where the chief it's of the like department... of war stories. Well, I mean, but this is another one of those, the chief of the department uh, gives the order or he claims he didn't give the order, but uh, somebody told everybody to break the windows out in the, in the front of the store. And there's no doubt that that's what brought the fire to the front of the store. Uh, that's what ends up killing nine firefighters. But one of the things that we talk about when we talk about that, that part of that incident is 
how long do you think he had to make his mind up about whether or not he was going to break those windows? You know, we in the class we end up talking about it for fifteen minutes. He didn't have fifteen minutes. Right. It was probably fifteen seconds. So with those windows being broken, the outcome was poor. Agreed? Yes. Okay. Now, but he could have had those windows broken, and two firefighters could have rolled out of them. Sure. So, you know. so on that same incident, an engineer who was pumping the truck made a decision that breaks all of our rules, which was to go in on a hose line to do a search. Is that correct? You remember yeah. that part? Yeah. Okay. How many people did he bring out? He's not supposed to be in there alone. Right. That was not his assignment. He took it upon himself to get on a hose line, go into that building, and because of him, multiple lives were saved. Yeah. So let's change the story and let's put the story somewhere else and that same thing happens. And when that engineer enters that structure to do a search, there's a negative outcome. He doesn't make it out himself. All of a sudden, we're writing books, we're writing policies, and we're reviewing everything we do and going, you cannot do this. And I'm not in any way, shape, or form condoning the actions. What it seems that it keeps coming back to is that too often the outcome dictates good or bad. Multiple lives were saved because he made a split decision on the scene going, me by myself is going in there starting to search out because my brothers and sisters are are in there and I'm going to get them. And multiple lives were saved because of that. But how many lives have been lost because people have done the same thing to go in there and rescue but never made it out because... Mm-hmm. That's just the way that that story played out. The decision-making process is what it is. And based on that person's experiences, that personal and professional uh, experiences and training and everything else, he went in there. I can tell you personally from reviewing that, the case that you bring with that incident, I learned a lot from it myself. I haven't experienced it, but through them I experienced it. Mm-hmm. My decision-making process is altered by some of this stuff. So I take that individual and there's, you know, there's a lot of people that have learned a lot from that situation. He had to make a decision. He made a decision to go in by himself. Your battalion chief, division chiefs from major metropolitan departments. What do you do when he comes? It's all said and done. Obviously it's, it's a, a complex situation. Lives were lost. But let's talk about what, how do you handle that at this there are rules. The rules were broken, but the outcome is positive. Does he suffer the consequences of the broken rules and everything else? And I know this can go down a different thing, but I have to believe that we got listeners sitting out there right now. You're cracking up. I'm not sure if this is going the right direction. us into a corner. Well, they broke rules, but it had a positive outcome. Well, so what do you do? Do you hold them accountable? Because then if you don't, that's just justifying that they did the know, right thing. When we it, talk would it be, it, is it a legitimate question that we have all encountered question. at one point or another, even above just a tactical Man, they point? they don't call me Thor for nothing. I'm dropping the hammer on them. This is how it goes. <laughs> I'm sorry. You know, the, the thing that we talk about in the class when I, when I go over that, uh, as soon as we start talking about that driver engineer, I tell everybody in the class that we're going to follow him because I, I like him. I like his mm-hmm. actions, and he ends up leading three firefighters out that are disoriented and probably would not have made it out on their own. But he commits a real sin. Freelance. He's Well, two sins. He's freelancing and he did not take his radio with him. Oh. So 
he encounters four firefighters disoriented at the back of the main showroom who, by my estimation, from what I've read and studied, those are the four that are that are found in the offices at the rear of the main showroom. There's debate on that invariably during the classes, but um, his inability to radio out that, hey, I just had four firefighters bump into me low on air that just disappeared in the smoke. You know, that is, that's something. I don't take anything away from his three that he let out. But at the same time, like you're talking about, I, you know, and you, you I, I'm trying to put myself in that situation and I would totally probably mess this up, but because there's a positive outcome, you know, and I've had this conversation where you've had to say, man, that worked out real good and I'm glad it worked out for you. But Let's you not need do to, it again. But you need to think about <laughs> what happens if it didn't work out, if this part came a part of it and this part became a part of it. You know, luck is not a tactic. No, luck is not a tactic. And, and, the, and I don't know if this is really correlates to that, but, you know, we live in a world of what if. You know, that's that's the world we live in. Our everything we process is, but what if this happens, or what if that happens? So that's how we look. You know, so I'm looking at these firefighters or captains or whatever they're making these decisions, and you're, and again, I'm glad this worked out for you, and and this was really a great thing that happened. But there's a bigger picture here also. It could have went totally the other right. way. And I'm with you, and I'll say that I posed that question, and I know it was I'm putting backs against the wall, but <laughs> honestly, when you go stepping down to our levels and we're asking above, hey, a question like that, uh, hopefully what it'll do for some of the listeners, including myself, is the decision-making process that happens is extremely complex. It's not simple. So that's to say, you're right. I, 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 agree, I agree with you guys. We can't condone that type of action because luck is not a tactic and it worked for you today, but tomorrow it could have a negative outcome. But sometimes when we're down here looking up at, you have the whole picture as a battalion or a division or whatever the case may be, and we may be down here going, why are they not letting us into it? We've put this fire out. Well, it may have been that you've seen this play out differently or that time it was luck or whatever the case is. So in this whole decision-making process, to me, I'm looking at a combined, a lot of years of service that you guys have. And it's just not that simple. It's an extremely complex decision-making process that goes through every rank all the way up. Well, I use it, you know, when we talk about our after actions, you know, we go do an after action or whatever, and we, let's say the fire went well and we put the fire out and we did what we were supposed to, but I was still pointing out mistakes that were made and right. things, and they're like, oh, I don't get it, what are you upset about? The fire went out. Right. I use a sporting, sports analogy, I'm like, the, the team that wins the Super Bowl every year goes back and watches the game tape to get better. We can always improve what we did. Even right. if it had a favorable outcome, doesn't mean we took every right step to get to that. There's still things to learn. There's still ways to improve that. And that's, that's kind of the thing. Even though it worked out favorably, not taking your radio terrible. Not telling command that you're about to do it so that they right. even know what you're doing. I mean, there are things that he could have done to make that even safer, even better. I mean, I get what he did and it, you know, it did help you know, or you know, save people, but... Doesn't mean it was right. So, because we have such a 
a great amount of decisions, complex decisions that have to be made in a very limited amount of time, if you're advising me coming up through the ranks and learning how I can improve on my decision-making process to be a little bit more effective with it and more efficient, because obviously there's a time to it. I need to make a very rapid decision. I don't get to fight. I, the, the example is I don't have a 200-foot tower. That has not taken place for me. We've talked about it. That helps me. Uh, but what steps can I take to improve my decision-making process? You know, is it... Well, I was actually going to key in on that just a little bit ago when we first started this. And I think what you have to do is you have to absolutely just... you. First of all, you have to put yourself out there. You need to go get involved, whether it's training, whether it's experience, whether it's sitting around the table talking to other people or whatever the case may be, because every one of those ends up being an experience that you pull from. I heard about this. I saw that. I remember Hatch talking about that at the table. Fisher's story. Don't do that. You know, <laughs> right? Yes. You, those, he, I, I didn't experience that with him, but listen to his story when we talked about that when, you know we did we we firehouse roundtabled that mm-hmm. i learned something from that so i think those firefighters and captains and officers and all of us and just need to stay plugged in you need to stay plugged in i don't know any other way to do it well there's a huge difference for me between blind luck being successful and you had a plan wasn't the best plan maybe there were problems with the plan and you got lucky and it was a positive outcome. But if, if it's blind luck, yeah, I can't really give you anything on that outcome. You just clearly got lucky on that. Yeah. yeah. And, I mean, you know, we're going to have to talk about all the different ways that you got lucky that this didn't go completely sideways. Now, you had a plan. What was your plan? You know, okay. Here, here's what I see maybe that, you know, I might not have done this exactly the same way, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And we did get lucky. You know, um, you can't plan, like we said, you can't plan for luck. But luck is a part of just about every call I've ever been on. Luck, some Somewhere we get lucky. Or we get unlucky. Well, but... Right, know. but again, luck is not a tactic. You don't go no, in saying, no, all right, no. I'm going to do I this. We get and, lucky yeah, on this. And yeah. luck's going to intervene, nope. and this Everything's is going to happen. Everything's going to be fine. Right, that's not how we <laughs> use the, the Luck only exists in the past. Based yeah. on this discussion... I'm sitting here kind of having this little epiphany. And we all know we've had these discussions, and I kind of, I absolutely agree with you guys. And some of these questions I lead, we're all learning. So if I'm doing a critique of, of an event right now, I'm going, okay, what I'm going to do is draw a line down the dry erase board, and I'm going to put tactic and luck. Let's talk about what was tac- tactical and sound proven for the and most part. We got and then let's on. talk about what's luck. You going in it and doing <laughs> a search. Did you do a right-hand search, left-hand search? Did you go on a hose line? There's a tactic. What's luck? The fact that you went in there without a radio, unassigned. So if we break it down that way, in my brain, I'm going, yeah, this is absolutely useful. So just walking away from here, I'm going, yeah, I would do that. I'd draw it down. Let's separate tactic from luck, and let's see that where we land. That would be and pretty it, fun to do a critique like but that. It's a very of, honest critique. Yeah, it is honest. It's a very honest, because when you go in, let's say you went in and you located a victim. And when they get to the critique, you say, guys, why did you go right hand and stay right. left hand? And they say, 
Well, you know, we knew that uh, looking at the building you. and uh, this time of door is open this should, way, so yeah. everything's going to no. be the other way. And, you know, right. uh, was it just blind luck? You decided to go right because you went right, and it just happened to be that's where the victim was. Then, so, then own up to that and say, you know what, this was luck. And, and on that point, when that gentleman uh, w- was doing the search that he went in without a radio on a sign and everything else, if you remember, he was knocked off of the hose at one point. And the way he oriented himself back to the hose, and I will never forget, was that he stopped where he was at and he started with small circles, big circles, all the way till he got back to the hose. Right. That tactic, what he did there was a tactic. I think he learned it from diving or something like that is what I read, something like that. So if we separate the luck and the tactic, somebody could say, oh, he got lucky to get that line. No, he used a tactic. Right. So this is stuff that we learn from. Luck is not necessarily... So anyway, within this conversation alone, I could tell you that I walk away going, absolutely, if I'm critiquing something that is has a complexity to it where I really need to... let Let's just really stop here and look at it really well. I would separate it and let's break down all our tactics. And then the goal would be, of course... Let's let the tactics far outweigh luck. Mm-hmm. If there's three lucks in there, we can kind of decipher through those, but our tactics should should outweigh luck. So where does luck play back into my manhole, my manhole uh, incident? How much of that was luck? Oh, we probably got lucky you didn't get fired. <laughs> <laughs> very, very lucky. Um you know, there were there was a lot of guessing and making educated guesses, assumptions. Yes, right. uh, you know, based on the information that was prevented or presented. So, uh, is it? Did luck? you get this one at all? No, yes. no. And I'll tell you what what the what what's the, what's the uh, statute of limitations on this? Yeah, it's good. <laughs> <laughs> what the shift supervisor? When I told the shift supervisor that I was willing to take whatever corrective action they wanted to give me, that I was. I was confident that we had made the right decision. Uh, that shift supervisor looked at me, and there was a tiny pause, and he said, I'm good with that. You don't have any problem from me. The only problem I have with this, and I applaud you for having the uh, wherewithal to, to go to, to a shift supervisor and say, you know, I, I realize I broke policy here, but I think I made the right decision, blah, 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 but I'll accept any punishment. That's a rarity in itself that somebody would actually say that to you. But what does that embolden the next guy? The guy riding on the back, the, the guy that was the firefighter that now he moves up and he's a lieutenant or he's a decision maker. He is now emboldened to break policy well, but, and maybe not have the same skill set, some of the same experiences for it to have the right. positive outcome. But he saw it work positively one time. Well, but I, I and I, my memory's not great, but I want to say I talked to both of those firefighters after the call. Don't do this. Well, but but we went over, guys, you know, we didn't have time to talk about it when you pulled up, you know, I didn't have, we needed, we needed to act or not act, whatever, you know, there wasn't enough time to go over this. Here are all of the things that we did that broke rule, policy, whatever, that were unsafe. And I think you knew a lot of them, but let's just make sure everybody's clear. (coughs) Here's why I thought we were safe going down in the hole, whatever. You know, we talked about it, and I hope that they understood that it wasn't just blanket a green light to do the same thing on the next manhole call. You know, that there were very specific 
things going on that if this and this and this and this are going on, I think right. we're okay. There's still the possibility that there could have been an explosion in the hole and they'd all have been killed, you know, or, or whatever. Who knows? But, you know, I reckon this decision-making works by, I, I apply what the situation is, the last positive outcome I saw, I'm going to apply that to this, right. and they saw that work positively. So, and, and unless you have that moment of education where you talk about all the ways it could have gone wrong. It's a, it's, it's a risk. But, I, and I, I don't say this to to elevate that call or in any way, but that guy was having a cardiac emergency. We got him the drugs that he needed, and I think he's alive because of it. You know? Um, is the trade-off of that they might in their career go do something? I don't know. I don't know if that's worth right, it. Right. But, yeah, that was what I was, was going to bring that to. So you save the one guy, but the next time it's we, one we of the other guys riding the seat. Two and, firefighters. Or three and, of them. And a crew. Right. The right. whole crew goes down because they saw it work positively. So, you know, it, it really is a you know the whole, what side do you want to land on? What, what, yeah. Can, <laughs> and it's what, what I talk about. People so just casually like, oh, yeah, I'll ride the seat. Right. Know, it is such a huge deal. It is such a big responsibility that you most people just totally take for granted until something like this happens, and we're like, "You have no idea how serious this is." You know, oh, I ride the seat all the time. <laughs> yeah, that's that's what you get. And then a lot of times, and we've talked about this before too. You know, a guy with twenty eight years of experience goes in and kind of does the he uses experience. He kind of does a shortcut thing, but the guys watching now see that shortcut is the maximum. This is the standard. Right. And just so now, you know, unless they go back and teach like you did and they're trying to explain to them and educate right. them, this is how I applied it. This is what I used. I need you to do it this way. Well, let's, let's turn that around on me. I'm an acting battalion chief. The engine rolls up and I basically put it on that seat man to make a decision for his crew. Are you guys comfortable going down? Look at the stress and the, the, right. the decision that I just put on him. You know, now if he'd said no, I'd have been okay with it. Not going to push you, but that loaded him up with. You know, I guess I always thought of myself as I was the one that was kind of taking the responsibility and taking the, but really I I passed a good bit of it to him. You did, and what I would say is that, and and I I discussed this with you guys before, and I heard this from somebody else a while ago, that. The chief's responsibility is to draw a line in the sand for us because we don't know when to do it. We will kick that sand past its limit mm-hmm. sometimes. And it, for me, the chief, the higher you go, you're drawing a line. As a company officer, I get to draw the line for the company. As a battalion, you draw the line for the battalion. So uh, on an incident like that, if I, if I look at it, it depends on what scope you look at it through. If I'm a confined space special operations guy and has a very good, clear understanding of special operations, we could sit here and say unventilated, unconfirmed, don't know if it's permitted or not, don't have any of the details, you put your people in danger, but then I will move 30 miles north of where I am and they will say absolutely acceptable, we will go in there, it is ventilated, we had appropriate uh, PPE for flash and the risk versus gain, we're doing it. So... I like to know what my rules of engagement are specifically, let's say, for my department so I can justify my action. So if I know I am breaking this rule, 
I'm going to, I'm very clear I'm breaking this rule. I'm justifying it because of this. This is my justification process. Yes, there was luck, and I understand this part of it was luck, but the risk versus gain was present because I have a clear understanding. So it still goes back to the difficulty of that decision-making process, but that same decision that you made there that we're talking about, if you scoot 30, 40 miles north from us, that is an acceptable decision that has been done many times because there's not a heavy rescue coming. There's not a TRT. So now it's two hours and they're going to die. So does it go down to a time frame? So I don't necessarily disagree with you. And I don't agree with you either. Right. There's consequence. I agree. I agree with. So him. wait, wait. You're being what are you gonna decisive. Do with that? I'm being decisive. Yeah. Well, Hatch says there's consequences that got to be paid, and I don't disagree with that. It. I have to be able to pay the consequences. Otherwise, people are going to see this as acceptable, not acceptable, or it's just trosh. They're letting them get by because it's trosh. So I do agree with that, but I also. Uh, have to disagree, let's say, with the fact that when I get there as a battalion or as a division, I can have a dialogue, but at that point I'm handing that decision over to someone below my capability of decision-making, I guess I would say. So it's almost I address the situation, I'll go to you and I say, do you have any experience or I may know if you have experience within this or not. I would explain it to you and say, this is what we have. I feel that this is an appropriate uh, hole that we can enter. It is violates this, that, and the other. If you are comfortable with it, like you're saying, I'm asking you, we're concurring with each other to go, right. then we're good. But if I just step back and say, look, if you want to go in there, go in there. And, but you didn't. You yeah, informed them. You gave right. them information. And you both kind of concurred. Hey, let, let's do this and let's get in there. Once it's done, if you break it down to what's tactic and what's luck, it was lucky that you went into a space that we couldn't confirm whether it had not the oxygen level, what hazards were in there. Did he have a heart attack because of the fact that there was a toxin in there that caused that heart attack? So there's a luck component. The tactical component would, would be you did take enough to take prevention against any flash or anything by putting in PPE anything that they can breathe but then your special ops guy would say but you did not take anything for absorption therefore that falls into that so and how are we going to get them out of the hole if something happens correct which any technical rescue or special operations stuff we're always saying don't be the rescue randy we always got to go after rescue randy because they went in there and did this so at the end of the day what i look at what you did and say you walked off we did this critique. Everybody learned from it. In my mind, I'm already playing this out and I'm going to use it. <coughs> there was a lot of luck that contributed to this. Was it more luck than tactic? And how do we take that away? That way, when it reoccurs again, if it reoccurs again tomorrow, are you going to make that same decision? Mm-hmm. So that's what I would ask to you is if this incident took place tomorrow, would those same decisions be made or... Would you stand by? No, under the same same situation, same everything that I had, I'd still say it's the right thing. Uh, but you change one little thing of that, and it completely changes the incident. You know, if both of them are passed out down there, mm-hmm. well, yeah, you know, I mean, we're not, we're not even talking. Even so we're going to war anymore, huh? I don't even know who you are anymore. <laughs> <laughs> 
I forgot what the original question was. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that we had a question. Well, the, the decision making yeah. of that. Yeah, I mean, we we just been talking about. But that. I think we make the we've made it even more convoluted for the listener because yeah. really, I don't know that we've, we've actually posed we more questions nothing. to the question There's than we've actually given a solution answer. here. Education, really, in my opinion, is no, is I the uh, is the solution. You have to broaden your horizons and really try to master your craft and get out there. Read NIOSH reports, talking to other guys, you know, older guys. Going to classes. Going to classes and learning as much as experiences. So when it comes time that you've never had that and you've got to do the prime recognition decision making, you're rolling through just uh, volumes of incidences and speculation and stuff as opposed to the one that you may have. And it takes time. It does take time. Yeah. Well, we hope that even if we haven't... uh, given anybody any... I think we did. (laughs) No, I I think think we've, we've... Made it worse, but uh, sitting Should around sitting around the table and talking about stuff like this at your station, you know, uh, if you want to have a discussion on whether or not I was a, an idiot for putting people down in a hole, that's a well, you weren't you know, because the outcome was good. Well, that's, that doesn't mean I wasn't an idiot. <laughs> You're not an idiot. Um, but you know, we hope that 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 kind of thing, this kind of discussion, prompts other discussions. Um, you know, the the one of the other things that I like to do in, in classes is, uh, it's, I call it my plate of dog crap, uh, exercise where, uh, we pretend that everybody's got a plate of dog crap in front of them and I'm going to offer you $10 to take a bite. And, you know, most people won't take a bite and then we offer you a hundred dollars and still nobody really bites at that. And then I say a thousand and invariably somebody in the class is going to go, I'm in, (laughs) Uh, but the point is, is that everybody's got this, I'm not going to do that, that thing. I'm not going to do that, but I guarantee you, I'll get to a dollar amount where you'll say, give me the fork. Everybody's got their price. Exactly. So when we say, oh, I'm not going to put somebody in a hole, uh, I can change the scenario. I can change it to where you, you know, I had somebody once tell me that they would never go into a church fire, uh, because of the, the spans. Too dangerous. Okay, there's five kids. You can see them 20 feet inside the church. No. There's 10 kids. 50 kids. I'm going to get to a number of kids where you're going in the church. You know? So these discussions where we talk about, you know, oh, no, I'd never violate that policy. Hold on just a second. I could pretty much come up with a a scenario where you're going to go, yeah, we're we're going to violate that one. But if you violate it, I mean, be prepared to suffer the well, That's the thing. As long as you're okay with it, you know, you're, you're violating a policy. So that's, that's the legal, for lack of a better term, that's the legal part of it. Mm-hmm. But there's that whole moral. moral right. There's going to be consequences either yeah. way. You know, yeah. you have a moral, I, I believe that wholeheartedly, you have a moral obligation with the job. And I think it's a, I think it's a tough conversation. And I agree that it can be kind of, well, are, are we even answering any questions or is it just this vague discussion? But in no way, shape, or form are any of us condoning any breaking of policy. But I think the conversations need to be had at the department, at the stations of what is it that we're, what, like you said, when, when are you going to give? What is it that you're, when is it that you're going to go there? And for you to violate a policy for me, you first better know your policies, which I find a lot yeah. of people don't know. You better know your policies. You better know your, your guidelines, your protocols, or whatever the case it is. That way you know what you're getting into. 
I know it's vague, but I can t- say that I have a huge takeaway listen, listening to it, to us in this discussion, listening to you guys going, it is very complex. Decision making is not easy and you're going to have hard decisions. I just find that too often this type of discussion doesn't take place because you're almost admitting to committing a crime. You oh, know, yeah. no, and it's unfair or for you us. don't know. Where well, you don't when know. I, when I was uh, detailing the the manhole call, uh, there were visible winces and, uh, <laughs> you know, a little bit of hesitation from uh, some others in the room of admitting to some of this stuff. But, uh, you know, I think, like you said, I think it's valuable to talk oh, about. absolutely it is. I you agree. Know? All right, well... We're going to close this uh, out. We, we're not going to give ourselves the pivot questions again since we've all answered those before. Uh, this is Blacksmith Bill and uh, Dr. <laughs> <laughs> and Attorney Hatch. And, Trosh, I can't remember what you said you'd do if you weren't a firefighter. Military. Military. So Bill's okay. favorite book, How to Not Read Your SOPs. I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> That's horrible. I didn't know we couldn't do that. <laughs> no, we're going to close it out with one more question from uh, one of our listeners. And, uh, oh, yeah. Just Let's see. All right, here we go. <laughs> I don't know if this is a good closeout question. We're not going to name uh, who sends these questions in. We're going to protect their, their identity. But uh, it's a two-part question. First part, over the years, through all the promotional processes, how did you deal with failure and or other people promoting before you, even though you felt like you deserved it? I have to. Has that happened to everybody in the room? Yes. 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 And Shane's nodding yes. Yes. Okay. I'll go ahead and say it. Um, yeah. So we can all speak to that on it's happened to us. I, I think for me... Um, and this is pretty much how I look at these kind of things. You got to do what you got to do to put yourself in the position, do the best you can. And outside of that, it's, it's done. And if it doesn't work out, you did your part. You know what I mean? Like that, that part, that decision making part is not my part, you know, and that's just not my part. And you get, I don't have a part of that and you move on. That's for me. You know, I look at, you know, when that happens and it's happened to me a few times, I, I really see myself going through those five stages of grief, you know. <laughs> um, at one point in our careers, Shane and I had the same disappointment at the same time. We weren't going through the five stages of grief at the same time. He was on, you know, acceptance when I was pissed or something. and But there was somebody else in the department who had the exact same disappointment. And we were. We were in sync. And, you know, I was calling Facebook friends. Yeah, I, was, <laughs> I was calling him and I was talking to him. And I think it's okay to be angry and it's okay to do all that and to be frustrated. The, but, but not to the point where it makes you stop. Exactly. Right. Right. Um, you know, uh, a previous fire chief in our department uh, was talking to me about somebody who was basically suing the department for a promotion. And his question to me was, why would you want to be promoted if I didn't choose you? Why would you want to work for me? When I don't want you to work for me, is that going to be a, a, a good relationship? You know, and in our department, once you're promoted above, uh, you know, battalion chief or above, you serve at the, the pleasure of the fire chief. He can terminate you without cause. So why would you try and force yourself into that position? So 
that was a moment for me where I was like, you know what? If I wasn't picked, maybe that's, maybe that is not, you know, this isn't the right time. A blessing in disguise. Right. But it's not that it's not frustrating because it is. It's incredibly frustrating. You put yourself out there like that and it doesn't work out. What do you say, Hatch? Oh, no, that's fine, too. Uh, I agree with Shane. Uh, you know, I've had it happen before, but the, the best that you can do is prepare yourself and, and get everything uh, ready to go and do the best that you can on the testing process or the interview or whatever you had to do. And then after that, I kind of see it as destiny, God's will. You know, I, I may not see the way the pieces are, are laid out, but right, eventually right. when something does happen, you're kind of like, oh, well, that kind of makes sense now. You know, that, that wasn't the right time. Right. You know, the worst I hate to see is watch the disenfranchised guy. It takes that, and now it totally turns them off to the profession or to their crew or to, right. to their battalion or whatever it is. I'm like, guys, it's still the greatest job we've ever had. We still have the most fun of doing, you know, we get to go in people's houses and kick in doors and stuff. Like, well, sorry, just, you know, used to. We used to do that. We can force one into gap set force. Staff I mean, so, but it's still a lot of fun. We, we hang out, we talk to each other, we have a good time. It's like being in an adult frat house. I mean, it, it's a lot of good times. Not like any other profession that I've ever been around ever. So as bad as it can be and as frustrating as it can be, we're really doing dream jobs here. Right, you know, and just prepare yourself. Like I said, you know, prepare it. Make sure you do a good job. Yeah, and another way, another football thing is just like a quarterback, they can't dwell on the interceptions, the drop passes. You got to right. think about the next play. Celebrate the wins, forget the losses. Right, you're never going to get that back. Just let it go. Right, and just keep on moving forward and trying to make it that much better. Right. More wins, more wins. You know, uh, me and Bill had just recently talked about a book that uh, we read. Well, I listened to. He read. Sorry, Hack. <laughs> he didn't read it to me. I know how that sounded. <laughs> it would have been awesome if it wasn't his voice, though. I'm going to have to actually put that on my bucket list. Book Him read my favorite book to me. That would be awesome. <laughs> Sorry, we're getting in a weird spot right now. Anyway, and it talked about optimism. There's a whole chapter on optimism. on optimism. We were both just blown away on that and how success and optimism ties in with each other. And I thought about that. I was like, that's such a great concept of if you dwell on the negative of it, how that will just have that trickle-down effect to just basically drain your batteries. And you just can't have that. You're not going to be right. a successful person, and you can't keep moving forward if all you can think about is, man... Two years ago, they took 10 cents away from me, and I haven't yeah. had that 10 cents back. You know how much that 10 cents is worth today? Yeah. Who cares? Move forward. Well, Colin Powell's quote is that optimism is a force multiplier, which is very good. Pabell, what do you what do you say on that? Uh, I've been... I'm sorry. Time's up. <laughs> <laughs> Next. I've been uh, passed up a couple of times, and for me, it's you work real hard. You think you deserve something. And then you get passed up, let's say. I think all of us have been promoted at one point where somebody else looked and said, I should have got that. Oh, that's true. Right? I, I, I haven't thought about that. Dude. That kind so, of hurts. <laughs> Yeah. So. That's a great point, man. Oh. So I, what, I uh, think that? what I say is I'm 100% in agreement with you. Don't change the core of who you are because of a what you may feel is a poor decision you got a couple of choices. You can stay, continue to work, continue to hustle. Like you said, it, it may just be timing. It may not be your time. You can 
choose to stay, dwell in it, be angry, and it's not, it's not, it's just not constructive. So to, to me, it'll never be your time. Correct. It'll never be your time then. So I've had some punches in the gut where I felt I deserved something and I, and I didn't get it. And, And I go through the anger stage and I go through all my stages, but the humble pie part of it is when I finally get it, I look around and it's like, there's somebody out there going, he does not deserve this. I should have got it. So, you know, I continue, I run my race at my speed, not yours. So I'm going to get passed up. It's going to happen. And I guess lucky for me, it's happened enough that I'm getting a little bit sensitive. So it's like, it's okay. <laughs> but Maybe it's not dead into it. You know? yeah, it's not stinging quite as much Eventually, anymore. Eventually, the, the arm will go deep enough in the barrel that they'll find little trolls down there at the bottom and pluck them up. But yeah, I, I, think, I, I agree with you guys that I think you should... Uh, it's in the past. Move on. And definitely, without any question... Have some humility enough that it may be that you can ask and 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 get a uh, honest response to go. Yeah. What can I do to improve? Hopefully you what can is it? Yeah, yeah. What yeah. do I need to do to get that. to that next level? Right. Right. And sometimes there's no answer to that question. It's okay. Yeah. Move forward. That I agree with what you said. That's already behind you. The interception's done. We need to win this game. Just keep moving forward and do what you got to do for yourself. I had a pass up that was just exactly like Hatch said, and I took the opportunity to go back and ask, "What do I need to do?" Right. And that I remember this person saying, and I could have taken this one or two ways, but I remember this person saying, "Don't don't do anything different. Just keep doing exactly what you're doing." And I think they were just trying to say, "It's just not time just yet." Right. And that was it. It wasn't right. a shot at me. It wasn't so. You know, I could have taken that the other way and really had a lot of sour grapes about it. Right, throw my hands up and say, I'm done and whatever. So, yeah, yeah, I, I think it's about staying positive. And, and you know, that, that, there was another chapter on forward momentum, you know, in the same book that me and Bill were talking about. So keeping that forward momentum, you know, keeping your nose to the grindstone, that's how, you know, success is accomplished. Right. You know, if you start looking in the past and start trying to, you know, retreat, well, you know, I'm going to go back here and I'm going to look my wounds. You're not hurting anybody but yourself. Right. Nobody else is worried about it. So, was it a two-part question? It is, and here's the second oh, part. God, we took a long time on the first part. What are some of the best things you did that made you get promoted? Well, drank a lot of water. I have no idea. Uh, <laughs> I can tell you mine. It's sitting around this table. What I did is surround myself around people who have experienced it, who have been around it, and who could advise me in the right direction. So when I go to you guys and I'll say, and it's not just a promotional process, it's my logic, it's my thinking, it's what I think that I'm getting into. I'm going to go as a company officer, I'm going for this promotional process. It's not the promotional process and me being promoted as much as you going, Troche, you being a Jake and wanting to stretch down the hallways and all this and that, that's great, but understand you're responsible for other people. Do you know um, what policy is, or for example, do you understand how to discipline somebody? You gave me great advice when I was becoming company <laughs> officer hatch. You said, Troche, if you're going to discipline somebody, if it doesn't need immediate discipline, wait and do it at night. That gives them time to sleep on it. Two days off, come back. They've gone through the process. It diffuses it. I have used that. It works. So the network of people that I've surrounded me for, uh, uh, around me, and the wisdom that you guys gave me really changed my perception on a lot of things that my immaturity hasn't experienced. 
So when I go into the promotional process, I'm thinking like 20, 30 year veterans that have advised me on, no, you're not getting there just so you can be this phenomenal firefighter and be pushing down. It has a lot more details, the administrative part of it. How are you going to deal with with people who are having personal issues that are bringing it to work. So my success has been in surrounding myself around not necessarily like-minded people, but people that can have been there, has done that, and will challenge some of my perception and views on things have worked out very well for me. This is a disclaimer. I mean, he's going to me about the discipline thing. I mean, <laughs> when you want to know about hammers, you go ask a blacksmith. I mean, that's, that's what's happening right, right here. Thor. Or Thor. Or Thor. Mine, I guess, would be two parts because I would say for the ones that are actually testing version, the best you can do is educate yourself and dedicate yourself to the, the testing portion of it. You know, if it has a, the promotion has a written component to it, I mean, Read the books and understand what you read. I mean, put time into it. I studied like a madman for both of my uh, lieutenants and captains, and I scored very well, and I prepared well for the oral. Now, the rest of it becomes, you know, what have you done, resume, things like that. And a lot of that is like you're saying, uh, is the experience that you're pulling from. You know, you ask other guys. You put yourself out there. You, You realize, you know, maybe I'm not the top guy, you know. Who do I think of as the most squared away officer, captain, whatever? What do I need to do? What What are my weaknesses? What do I need to bring up? Going in and being uh, an awesome Jake is only one part of being an officer. I mean, there's a whole administrative side. There's a whole leadership side. There's a whole professionalism side. I love it that guys know how to be great firemen. But you ask to be the officer. You ask to be the lieutenant. You ask to be the captain. You can't be single faceted. You have to start working on those other facets and shore right. up those weaknesses. And that would be how you move on to those next levels. The guys that think just because I know how to put out fires, there's a lot of guys here that know how to. I can go to Six Flags and ride all the roller coasters, but you still got to walk between all of them. So there's still work to be done. You like that, didn't you? Just pull that right out of there. Where did that come from? I've used that one several times. That's a Hatch original. It's really? patented. I want y'all to copyright that one. No but, but that's the whole thing. I mean, there has to be work to be done. And people think it's just the fun parts of it. You know, I want to. I just want to fight fires. I just want to fight fires. That's limited. You know, Peter Pan still has to grow up. You got to get off the trucks and you got to keep moving up. That, that's Peter it. Peter Pan has to grow up. Not to I, I've got a whole bunch of them here. Oh, I've got yeah. them all long. Not to prolong it, but you're so spot on. Of course, the study part and all that. And I have to say it real quick because it's... So I had an incident a while back where I get called from a company officer or he's sitting, so he's acting officer at a station. This happened three times in one week where I get called and say, hey, we have this going on. It had nothing to do with incidents, but it was a complex personnel matter. So with this one individual, he's one that's always in big dialogues about these conversations of fighting fire. What do you do? Do we vent this? Do we go in and all that? And we get into a conversation. I said, yeah, this is a lot of what you're going to have to deal with is issues like this where somebody comes in and it's a personnel problem. And you have to do you know what the city policy is or the county policy? Do you know what the departmental policy is? Do you know if you can break the chain of command to deal with this? Do you know if you have to follow the chain of command? So I so much agree with you that a lot of what we're dealing with where we kind of trip sometimes and don't know what to do is that a lot of the administrative stuff because the fire stuff we're doing it from the back seat to the front so i find it often that some of the younger firefighters that are moving up totally disregard forget or don't feel that that part is important 
where I find myself doing it very often dealing, dealing with the personnel matter that has to do with how well do I understand what my role is and what's expected of me. And on the promotional process, you'll often find that they're very heavy on policy and stuff like that, and that's the reason for it. So, right. Sure, your weaknesses. Yes. You want to answer? Mm-mm. No? <laughs> <laughs> All right, I've got... He's never been Shane diverse. Mine's going to be a two-part answer. Uh, I want to first answer how... I think the question was how to get promoted. Um, I actually forgot what the question was again. Which... Yeah, yes, was it, it was. What are some of the best things you did that made you get promoted? And I think one of the biggest is to challenge yourself. We all get into that comfort zone where we're at our station and we've been here for this long and I know what my role is here. And to get outside that comfort zone and actually learn and whether that's going to the National Fire Academy and taking classes or just... (laughs) It's a lot of fun. It's big fun. Whatever it is. Whatever's going to put you outside of where you're comfortable because that's where you're really going to grow. Massey. Yeah. Massey. Great place Um, to go and get promoted. All growth happens outside your comfort zone. Exactly. Now, if you're if if the question gets turned into how to be successful uh, once you're promoted, that I think has to do more with um, you need to get promoted for the right reason. You're if you are looking to get promoted because you want more money, or because you want to tell people what to do, uh, you know, or any of those managing McDonald's. <laughs> yeah, this isn't this isn't what you know. You're, you're getting promoted for the wrong reason, and you're not going to be successful at it. If you if you are doing it for the right reason that you want to benefit the department, you want to you know positive influence. You want to leave your mark, right? Right. Those are um, those are the right reasons, and you're not going to be disappointed when you do get promoted and you've got more uh, a bigger sphere of influence, or you've got more responsibility, or you can affect change a little bit more. Um, so you know. Uh, I'd say get out of your comfort zone and make sure that you get promoted for the right reason. And I think you need to get yourself prepared. I mean, Maybe education, I would just defer to him. <laughs> um, you know, we, we all said get outside your comfort zone, go go get involved. I'm telling you, we're, we're in a day and a time where you have to have your education at some point. Yeah. You're going to have to have it. And there's no way around it. Yeah, I would piggyback on that. One other thing I would say that would help in any aspect of this is become an insatiable reader. Mm-hmm. Yes, I that is that. the basis of, of communications. You yeah. can find out what John Norman thinks. Read his books. You right. can think you find out what you know any chief or that has published what they thought. What you know the the NIOSH reports. Read, 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 read. Always yeah. be reading something. It's the base of why we uh, started the reading list on the website. You know, if you <clears throat> you want to think that firefighters don't read, fine. But um, you know, the military, all all the branches of our military have reading lists. Uh, the Marines, each rank has a an assigned list of books that the commandant has said these are the books you are going to read when you are this rank. Um, so there's plenty to learn. Uh, we I, we could do a whole podcast on just Hal Moore uh, and how much I love Hal Moore, uh, who just actually just passed away. But um, you know, one of his big things was read. You've got to know the history. Well, too, and, and so you don't have a, uh, a leader in your department that inspires you. I guarantee there's one at the library. Sure. I guarantee there's sure. one on Amazon right. yeah. or, or Audible if you don't like to read. I mean, get in there. Take that drive time. Instead of listening to the radio or whatever or talking to yourself, 
You know, get an audible app. I like to myself. Huh? I get a lot done during that time. <laughs> you know, I do my to-do list or whatever it is. But I mean, just just try to be an insatiable reader because that that is how you're going to get out there and, right. and start getting those uh, other experiences. And I'll say back to that that promotional process and reading. There's books that you guys have recommended. That you know your reading list can get quite large, like you know, not sharing <laughs> like insurmountable. Yeah, words. like insurmountable. You're looking through like, all oh these texts God. and everything else, going, which one do I read next? <clears throat> and there was a a book all of you read, and you were prompting me to read it. I wish I would. I actually read that book and I finished it. And in my mind, I said, if I would have read that book before I went after this position, I would have got it. It enlightened me to myself and going, this is where I fell short. So reading is critical and it's critical even to going back to that promotional process. If I would have read that book, I would have had such a better understanding of what I was getting into. So I really think my success rate would have gone up by reading that book. Right. What's that book? Five Dysfunctions. Five Dysfunctions of a Team. Yep. Great yeah. book. Patrick Lencioni is the, the author on that one. And that is just a huge book. Uh, not in size, but in scope. No, it's a great, easy, pretty easy read. Yeah, very so easy very read. Short, very short. Very understand. insightful. And you're like... I regret not wow. reading that book earlier. Not because I missed that promotion, but because the insight that I would have had, the understanding that I would have had, at least I would have, I would have felt I was better prepared and more comfortable. Yeah. Uh, and that's a, a great example of something that I could have read that could have really impacted me going into the promotional process and it had nothing to do with the reading list provided for the promotion right that's a wisdom thing going i did you know Mm -hmm. the inside of the book sorry trosh i wish i'd have got that for you earlier i guess that's your fault (laughs) it's worked out best i am trying to pull up (laughs) (laughs) we have to forgive that my mother is uh I don't live at home. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I, was, oh I was so close you to that. Like that. Mom. We, are, uh, <laughs> we are having to do this in Canton uh, because that's where everybody could get together, and my mother just happens to live in Canton, so we're doing it up in her house. But uh, I'm not sure what she needed, but she's passed through the room now. Uh, the other book that we were talking about with the chapter on optimism. Oh, that's true. We should have told what the book was. Yeah, in case anybody's uh, interested, both of those books are on uh, a couple of the reading lists on the on the uh, website mafc.org. But uh, the name of that book is "Into the Unknown: Leadership Lessons from Lewis and Clark's Daring Westward Expedition" by Jack Aldrich. Uh, Excellent book, and just about every book that we recommend can be found in used bookstores in the business section. Uh, if you just kind of haunt them, you'll you'll find them, so you don't have to pay full price if that's the hang-up. But, uh, all right, well, I think we've had a lot of good discussion. I don't think we solved anything no. other than good discussion for the sake of good discussion. Yeah. Officer, beware. <laughs> well, can we note that it, it, it's been a, a very long week, and it is very late into the evening. Yes. So yeah. There's a little yeah. delusion going around too. Yeah. I told you that's one. When you're tired, is when you have the best stuff. You just kind of want it out there. Trosh and Hatch have both been teaching class all day. So, uh, yeah. All right. Well, we appreciate you uh, listening. Once again, uh, any comments, suggestions, ideas for future podcasts, uh, you can email us at combustiblethemafsipodcast at gmail.com. Podcasts can be found on our website, mafsy.org. Um, 
Check out the reading lists. What else? Uh, conference is coming up uh, May 11th through 14th, and uh, we hope to see a lot of you there. We will definitely be there. Uh, come up and say hi. Yep. I guess that's it for this one. This one. Yep. All right. We appreciate you listening. Anybody want to say goodbye? Goodbye. 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 Keep being awesome. <laughs> Outstanding leadership. <laughs>